thanks. Uh, let's turn our Bibles to Romans 3. When a guy gets two chapels a year, to you know, one to present the slides, another to do this, there's always a lot of things floating through your mind, obviously things that matter to you. You're not going to stand up here and talk about things that don't matter to you. So, you know, if I had five or six chapels, I'd probably take one chapel and I'd talk about the importance of moral purity, how very important it is for us, obviously, to uh, present our bodies as a living sacrifice before God. You, you, you might as well forget about being used of God in any way, shape, or form if you're not going to at least surrender your body to Jesus Christ. So if I had a chapel, I'd talk about that, or if I had another chapel, I'd talk about, uh, I'd talk about going wherever God calls you whatever they pay you. One of my pet peeves is all these guys coming out of Bible school saying, yeah, I was going to go there, but they were only going to pay you know, a little bit of money or whatever. That really bothers me. Uh, probably because when we went to the church that we pastored, the church paid $50 a week to whoever spoke that Sunday, so there weren't a lot of special speakers. Uh, I got 50 bucks a week for, for being a pastor, and, and uh <clears throat> You know, uh, eventually after nine years of preaching uh, and them giving me little raises here and there, eventually I was able to uh, make what I felt was a pretty sweet living at about $19,000 a year. So I want to encourage you to go where God calls you to go, no matter what the paycheck is. It really bothers me when I hear people say, well, I would go, but... Now, of course, I have a little bit of a axe to grind there personally, but that's between me and God, I suppose, but... You know what? God will provide for you if you do His will. That's, I heard that when I, was up, when I was sitting there. I heard guys tell me stories like that, and I used to think, What? How do you live on 50 bucks a week? God will feed you. Well, listen, we drove by Tim Hortons. We didn't pull in every you know, two or three days. We, probably I went to Tim Hortons the first five years of uh, we're uh, at that church. I probably went to Tim Hortons maybe a grand total of ten times in those five years. But God will provide for you. Another uh, conviction of mine is homeschooling. If you were to come out to, in, on the streets with me and you'd run into your average 17-year-old in grade 12, the chances of reaching him apart from the Holy Spirit and the power of God are just about zero because he's been systematically brainwashed to believe lies. It bothers me a lot. And uh, I, I know you don't have to be homeschooled to, to, be, uh, you know, to have a good upbringing, but... Uh, I, it really bothers me, this brainwashing that's taking place in our public school systems to say that, you know, the average 17-year-old, you say, you know, is that the Word of God, yes or no? Guess what his answer is? No. It's not the Bible. It can't be trusted. Are you kidding me? Here's a big one. Here's a big one. You can have your faith in your little book that's 2,000 years old, Kirk. I got my faith in science. And you know what? He's, he's been taught. He's been programmed that there's a contradiction between the Bible and science. That's hogwash. And then if I had another class, I would talk about the importance of being debt-free. I'm very, very convinced that being debt-free is very important. And so my wife and I, even though we didn't make a pile of money back in those days, we bought a little house, little house, not real big, and uh, we just aggressively attacked that mortgage, and we paid it off in less than eight years. And so we made our last mortgage payment about five and a half years ago, and you know, the most I ever made during that time was 19000 and God provided for us. So I, I, these are things that really matter to me, and I, I would challenge you on if I had the time. But, but, but actually, I don't have the time to talk about all those things. So what I'm going to do is go to what has been the biggest 
uh, challenge for me personally in the last probably five or six years. But if you were to say, Kirk, what's the, what's, the, what's the most important thing that you have learned in the past five to six to seven years that has motivated you in evangelism? Well, the answer would, without question, be Romans uh, chapter 3. Now, one of the things I did as a pastor, I did some stupid things as a pastor, but one of the things I did that was uh, good was that I taught through the book of Romans. And so don't despise uh, Romans class. It's, uh, I know it's tough at times. I, I know I've been there. But, but Romans has is, is really been a blessing. And, and I taught like 46 Sundays through the book of Romans. And then God really started to get a hold of me and started to teach me some things. And one of them is verse number 24 and 25. Look at it with me. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness to the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Let's pray together. God, help us to uh, understand uh, just a little bit more about Romans chapter 3, verses 24 and 25. And uh, keep us free from distraction in these next 20 minutes or so. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I heard recently a preacher say this. I want you to listen closely. I listen to a lot of, I do a lot of driving. I drive probably 35 to 45,000 kilometers uh, a year. And as I drive from place to place, I, I like to listen to, to, to messages. And so I heard a guy say this once. Listen, please listen very closely. God gave his only begotten son. God's son went to that cross. And God looked down at that cross and he saw the pain that was inflicted upon his son by the hands of men. And God counted that as payment for our sin. Did you catch it? Listen again. God gave his only son. God's son went to the cross. God looked down at the cross and saw the pain that was uh, inflicted upon his son by the hands of man. And God counted that as payment for our sin. Did you catch it? Did you catch the heresy? What I just shared with you was abject heresy. And if I would have shared that probably 200 years ago in a Bible school, probably somebody would say, what? What did, who gave that man the right to preach up there? That is wrong. What kind of heresy is he bringing into this place? Now, I did it on purpose to try and... And, and I'm not picking on you because the first time I heard it, I didn't catch it either. If you are saved here today, ladies and gentlemen, you are not saved because the Romans and Jews rejected Jesus. You are not saved because they put a crown of thorns on his head. You are not saved because they put nails in his flesh and nailed him to a tree. You are not saved because they took a lance and pierced it through his heart. If you are saved here today, you are saved because on that cross, Jesus Christ was crushed under the holy hatred and righteous you were crushed under the holy, just, and hatred of his own father. It pleased Yahweh to crush his only, holy, beloved son. Or have you forgotten Isaiah 53? Do you remember Isaiah 53, verse 10? It pleased the Lord to what? To bruise him? It is not what men did to Jesus Christ on that tree. It is what his own father did to him on that tree. And if you get a hold, my goal today in this brief time together is to, is to hopefully um, encourage you to study the penal substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. Because once you enter into the foothills 
of the magnificent mountain of the penal substitutionary Jesus Christ, I have found nothing, nothing that has motivated me for evangelism more than that. When you understand that Jesus Christ took the punishment that you deserve. There's, there's, this, there's a lot of talk about the forgiveness of sins today in Christian circles. And little of it has to do with the cross of Jesus. That's the point of the, of the chapel today. It really bothers me. When I talk to a Muslim on the streets, I'll say, Hey, uh, Muhammad, where are you going when you die? Well, I hope I'm going to heaven. Okay, Why? Well, because Allah is merciful. Uh-huh. You ever sinned against God? Give him the Ten Commandments. Pull, these, pull one of these coins out of your pocket. This, take one of these if, you, if you'd like. I always keep one. I try to always remember to keep one in my pocket. I say, well, this is the, uh, this is the law of Moses. And Moses was a prophet, right? I say, this is the law of Moses. You ever lied? You ever stolen? You ever blasphemed God's name? You ever, you ever dishonored your parents? You ever coveted? You ever looked with lust, committed adultery in your heart? Yes, 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 and yes. So why should Allah forgive you again? And you, here's his best answer, if he's a good Muslim. If he's a, there are liberal Muslims out there who don't even have this, but the, the, if he's a you know, sort of devout Muslim, the best answer he's got is that Allah is merciful. That's it. Zero. I said, well, isn't he just? Oh, yeah, he's just. Well, then how can he let you go? Because he's merciful. <clears throat> but, but please don't laugh because I, I run into people on Friday nights and on Saturdays on Spring Garden Road and they call themselves Christians and they tell me almost exactly the same thing. Because somehow we've, some, we, we've got to keep the cross central to our gospel message. We have to keep the cross central. Let me illustrate for you. Uh, as you're turning over to uh, Proverbs 17, keep a marker there in John, uh, Romans 3. And let me illustrate. This is, this is not my illustration. I stole it from somebody else, but it's the best one I've ever heard to illustrate this, so I'll use it. Imagine you go home from break, young people, and you see a murderer standing in your kitchen with a bloody knife in his hand, and there's your entire family dead on the floor. You capture this man. You call 911. Please take him to the judge. The judge stands before. The judge is about ready to go to sentence him for what he did to your family. And to your surprise, the judge says, I'm a loving judge. Don't do that anymore. You are free to go. My question is, what would you think about that judge? I'd hate his guts. I would be after that judge's job. I would go to Stephen Harper's front door if I had to and say there is a judge in my province that is more wicked than the very criminals that he sets free. But somehow we've gotten this crazy idea that if God is good, he can just simply forgive the guilty. Look at, look at Proverbs 17. He that, uh, verse 15, Rob and I were talking to some Jehovah's Witnesses the other day, and this is the verse I took the Jehovah's Witnesses to. He that justifies the wicked, and he that condemns the just, even they both are an abomination to the Lord. Now, did you catch it? Let's just pull, just for the sake of time, let's just pull that middle phrase out and, 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 and shorten the verse. He that justifies the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. Now, if you're saved here, you've been justified according to Romans chapter 4. But God says, he that justifies the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. 
Okay, now to put your thinking caps on, has God become an abomination to himself? If God, the Bible says if God justifies the wicked, that's an abomination. So how can God justify the wicked? How can God simply forgive sin? You know, Satan is the accuser of the blood. Hold on to that thought, by the way, we're coming back there. Satan, is, as you know, is the accuser of the brethren, right? God, Abraham, making new friends. He's a liar. He put his own wife in jeopardy. He didn't believe you. David, oh, a man after your own heart. The guy's an adulterer. The guy's a murderer. You can't be serious. Noah, oh, Noah, walking with you. Was that before or after he was drunk? Can you hear Satan accusing the brethren and accusing you and me? But, but you know that Satan is more the accuser of God. Don't you see it? Hey, God, we fall. And what do we get? Perfect justice. These humans, they fall. What do they get? Mercy. There's a whole lot of room in there for Satan to accuse God of Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 15. You know, if you were stealing in Spain in, I don't know, say the 1500s, there's a penalty. There isn't any more, but there used to be a penalty for stealing. It was called death. So if you're a if you're a, a slave and you're in Spain and you're stealing and you get caught by your master and he's got witnesses, you know that you're going to die. So they drag you by the neck to the gallows and, and you know that you're going to die. This is the last day of your life. The law demands your death. And so you fall down on your knees and you cry out to your master. And you, you, you cry out, Se propicio a mi amo. What, what you're saying is, be merciful, be propitious to me. Be merciful to me. And what you're really asking your master is, Master, I know I violated the law, but do not kill me. The law demands my death, but do not do what justice requires of me. What you're asking your, your master to do, what this slave is asking his master to do, is to literally break the law on his behalf. Do you follow me so far? Go like this if you're still with me. Okay, great. You're asking the master, let's say you're the slave and you're, you're, you're going to die, and you, you fall down and you say, said propicio a mi amo, have merciful, propitious to me. You're asking your master to literally break the law on your behalf. And somehow there's this slippage in Christianity. It's happening a lot. It happens in more than half of the messages I listen to. More than half of the gospel messages I've heard in the last couple of years. There's forgiveness of sins offered without even mentioning the cross or the blood of Jesus Christ. And it really, really bothers me. The Bible says there's only one thing according to the book of 1 John that can actually wash away your sin. And what is it, young people? It's called the... The blood of Jesus Christ. Listen for the blood of Jesus Christ the next time you hear the gospel. It's scary that you can actually hear sometimes, supposedly, the gospel these days without even hearing about the blood of Jesus Christ. This is, this is not good. This is not good. 
God cannot simply forgive the guilty. He can't simply overlook sin. No more than that judge can look at the the guy who slaughtered your family and go, I'm a good judge. Off you go. A propitiation must be made. God must satisfy justice. God must. God cannot clear the guilty. Because anybody who condemns, anybody who justifies the wicked and anybody who condemns the just, even they both, are an abomination to the Lord. Let's go back to Romans 3. And as we do, let me tell you, God cannot simply forgive sin. He has to satisfy justice. This propitious lawgiver must be just and he must be now the, the amazing thing one of the things i love to talk to uh m- muslims about i said what if i told you that the god of the bible cannot simply forgive sin and they look at me whoa, whoa. by the way if, if you're a christian and you talk to a muslim he's going to assume that you're roman catholic you need to know that he thinks that you bow to the Pope. And I, say, I usually blow them away when I say, I believe the exact same thing about the Pope as you do. How does that work? I'm not Catholic. Well, what are you then? He, he will assume that you're Roman Catholic, just so you know that. I didn't know that when I started hitting the streets. So, uh, so I say, what if I say to the, to the Muslim, I say, uh, what if the, I told you the God of the Bible can't forgive sin? He has to punish sin in every case. Listen, young people, if God doesn't punish every single sin in the entire universe, then he's not God, and he's certainly not good. Right? I said, right? He, he has to punish every sin. That's, that's part of the job description of being God. In, in order to be holy, in order to be just, in order to be good, every single sin must be punished. If you let one slip through the crack, you no longer cease to be good. You no longer cease to be holy. You no longer cease to be... You, and I guess that doesn't make sense. You no longer are good. You no longer are just. You no longer are holy. And therefore, you are no longer God. So if God lets one sin slip through the cracks, he has forfeited himself. He's disqualified himself. And every sin must be accounted for. Every sin must be atoned for. And justice must be satisfied. Otherwise, the very character of God is at stake. This propitious one, this, this one who's going to, 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 to be the propitious substitute, to be the atonement, he must be God and he must be man, as you know. He must be very God and very man. Why must he be a man? Because man has sinned and man must die. The blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. A son of Adam has broken the law. A son of Adam must pay. But not only is he the son. By the way, I, I try to get away from calling him a man and calling him the man. He is the man for us. He's not just a man. He's the man. The Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things I always remember about Mr. Breeden when he taught me homiletics, you'd never, ever, ever hear Mr. Breeden call him Jesus. Right, Mr. Ho? It was always the Lord Jesus because he's precious. Not only must a son of Adam perish, but it must be the judge of all the earth. It must be God himself. Why? Because a sacrifice must, this sacrifice for sin must be sinless. It must be perfect. Well, who is perfect? God. God's the only one who's perfect. So a God 
must die. Who else could withstand? This is the one I use with Jehovah's Witnesses because they don't believe in hell. I say, you know that the one on that cross had to be God because who but God can withstand the wrath of God? The wrath of God would crush the mightiest archangel. So who but God can withstand the wrath of God? That one on the cross had to be God because if it was anybody else, he would have been ground to powder. And every once in a while, I'll run into a very self-righteous atheist on the streets. And not too often, but every once in a while, they'll be so just scoffing. You're such an idiot, Kirk, if you believe this stuff. Sometimes, not too often, only about once, twice, maybe three times a year, I'll have to look at a person in the eyes and I'll say, Sir, when God's holy, only precious beloved son was on the cross... God crushed him for your sin. What do you think he will do to you? Some of you think that's a little extreme. But you have, we, have very, uh, we have very little... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? We don't understand how lost men are, I guess is my point. If you don't understand how lost men are, you, you really got to go out <laughs> Spring Garden Road on a Friday night and you'll see how wicked and how depraved and how evil men are. Let me tell you, God, man is so ick, wicked and loathsome before a holy God that many people today, the last thing they will hear before they take their last breath, and the, the last thing many people today, over 150,000 of them today will hear before they take their first step into hell, is the all of creation, all of heaven standing and applauding God for ridding the earth of him. For standing and applauding God for judging that man righteously and justly. But we don't hear a lot of this stuff any, much anymore. Another reason he has to be God is that a life must be laid down. Who has a life to lay down? You? From where does your life come, young people? It comes from God. Does an angel have a life to lay down? No, it's not even his life. Jesus is superior to everyone and everything. He is, it's not just about uh, sinlessness. We're talking about value, that Jesus Christ is so awesome. Once in a while, somebody who thinks they're so smart will say to me, Oh yeah, Kurt, well how can one man dying 2,000 years ago, you know, cleanse People who haven't even been born yet, like thousands of years later. I say, because you don't know who that man is. He is the Son of God. He is more valuable than every star, every planet, every molecule of dust, every human put together. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, once you start to unpack the power of the cross, and I haven't reached it, believe me, and I'm not pretending I have. But I am learning by the grace of God. And God has been showing me some things. And when you understand that God, that God commends his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Please don't ever, please don't do something so foolish as to tell somebody they can be saved. That they can have forgiveness of sin and completely bypass the cross and the empty tomb and the blood. You say, you of course I wouldn't. It happens a lot. It happens a lot. You can talk to people, especially when young people are being addressed, like teens and younger. It can happen very easily. Hey, you know, who, boys and girls, anybody here ever sinned against God? Yeah? Anybody here want to have their sins forgiven? Uh-huh, yeah, okay. Okay, well just... You know, 
pray this prayer and God will take away all your sins. Really? Really? You didn't mention hell. You didn't mention the cross. You didn't mention wrath. You didn't mention his blood. You didn't mention the resurrection. (laughs) Then don't be surprised when he's 21 and he goes to university if he completely abandons the faith as most 20-year-olds do. 75 to 80%. 75 to 88 percent of people who profess Christ will completely abandon it now by the time they're done their first year in college. And I think it has a lot to do with what I'm talking about here today. Let me just show you in uh, conclusion. Uh, he's he's going to bring up some stuff. Uh, the, the gospel permeates everything. I mean, it's all about the gospel, right? It's all about the gospel, and this is why I want to challenge you to come meet me here at 2 o'clock. We'll pray. Once you, once, you, once, you, once, you, once you understand that, that Paul is all about this, that, that nothing, every, every major doctrine of Scripture hinges on the cross. Even husbands loving their wives. Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So the cross permeates every aspect. The gospel-focused, the gospel-driven life applies to husbands and wives. The next verse, it applies to our holiness and our per- flee fornication. Every sin that a man do, does, he sins without his body, but he commits fornication, sins against his own body. Verse 19. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which you have of God, which you are not your own? Huh. For you are bought with a price. See it? The gospel is tied in with your personal holiness. The gospel is tied in with husbands loving their wives. The next verse. The gospel is tied into your giving. The whole chapter of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 has to do with giving. For you know that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty you might be rich. The reason that we give is because of the gospel that Christ gave himself for us. The next one. Be ye kind-hearted. You're to forgive one another, according to Paul. Why? Because Christ, God for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. It's the cross, it's the gospel. Do you see, I could go on, Mark chapter 10, about serving others. Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Uh, there's some other stuff in there too. Uh, it's, it's everywhere. It's, every, it's all about, young people, the gospel. So, this has been the number one motivation for me for evangelism, to understand that Christ paid it all. It's not just God can forgive your sin because he can do that, because he can snap his fingers and do that. He can't. He has to punish sin. And the sin was completely paid for on that cross when Jesus Christ took our punishment. So if you've got any questions, I'll be up at the table. And, uh, boy, there's a lot more I'd like to say. But uh, may, may I encourage you to dig and study the penal substitutionary atonement of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you that Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, and you washed it white as snow. Thank you, Father, that the blood of Jesus Christ, your Son, cleanses us from all sin. Help us to understand the penal substitutionary atonement. Help us to believe it. Help us to meditate on it. And help us to spread it. In Jesus' name, amen.